0: hey guys what's up trey Beck here at trey wolf and welcome back to another episode of the true blue show and <laughs> it's been a hot minute since we've recorded something uh wes and i have just been having scheduled conflicts we've had hard times with life with jobs with the holidays Everything in between, just trying to be able to record something. But and unfortunately, I say that Wes isn't here to join us, sadly. Uh Wes did have um a kid within the recent months and everything, so he is uh he's um he's already had kids, but he's having uh an, the duties of a dad again, so we we will see him every now and again, but um we were gonna be blessed to have on a few guests here and now and then, and our next guest or as uh, my patient, as I'll call it, because this is a Chelsea therapy um, episode because things have not been going our ways. So Brittany, Brittany Zim from Twitter. (laughs) Thank you for joining me on today. How are you doing?
1: Hello, friend. I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. And for those uh, that uh, don't recognize just the name Brittany, her at is at Brittany Zim with two M's because she's fancy like that. Um, but basically she's a uh, Twitter fan and friend that I've been interacting a lot with on the timeline. And I am very happy that she uh, made the time to come on today. Thank you.
1: Oh, anytime. That's what I'm here for. I have no life.
0: and i will put out a little disclaimer Brittany was nice enough to warn me that if i do bring her on there is the risk that this could get a little explicit so this is your friendly true blue show warning uh for about 10 seconds that you can leave this episode if you are underaged or you are with a child in the room and this is going to be a little too Uh, explicit for your ears i'm not saying britney's just gonna be swearing (laughs) like a sailor here but i'm saying she might drop an f-bomb or something any bit and i can't this is unscripted so i can't control it so (laughs) listen at your own risk
1: i know i'm i'm terrible i'm sorry i grew up in the midwest
0: Well, i did too but it's okay we we all look like a good swear word every now and then and you know what if there's anything that Chelsea Smays wanted to do recently, it is swear. So.
1: Or go to therapy. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
0: This is therapy. This is Chelsea therapy. So let's get into it. So I like to start off our episodes with a little fun question. there's a little tidbit. So Brittany, <laughs> you're on a Chelsea party barge celebrating their UCL win with the team. Oh no, there's an iceberg ahead. You wreck. And are marooned on a deserted island, and you can only have one Chelsea member survive and make it to the island with you who survives.
1: Wow, that's that's rude. <laughs> just one.
0: <laughs> yeah, just one. You can pick whoever you want for any reason, but everyone else dies. Sorry. That's kind of how it works in you know these crashed movies. That's really tragic. Um... it is, but hey, at least we won the UCL before that happened. yeah
1: so i mean they go out on a high note yeah i mean sad that they all die but you know at least you won
0: yeah
1: um if i had to pick
0: and i do have a person in my head who i think you're gonna pick but (laughs) please go on
1: um i'm actually gonna think about this logically about any reasoning and we put an
0: explicit warning in this you can have whatever reasoning you want now
1: Well, like, if you're on a deserted island, I want to eat. So, like, I don't want to cook all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, you have to be good at cooking or something. Like, be useful to me.
0: (laughs) Right. What Chelsea player is the best cook in the kitchen? Uh,
1: To be fair, I don't think any of them cook all that often. Probably
0: not. They're very wealthy athletes. I'm pretty sure they get catered
1: to them. (laughs) um who would i think would be the most useful i mean for reasons i won't name ben Chilwell would probably be the most useful.
0: <laughs> yeah that was my guess i was waiting for a cake fun to go in there but it never came but um yeah that was my guess was ben Chilwell because i've seen you flirt with him too much on the timeline for him not to be your answer but I, hey, that proves, it proves one thing that I know you, Brittany, I know you, but Ben Chilwell <laughs> has, is the sole survivor of Chelsea football club. Thanks to uh, Brittany. Thank you. So he will rebuild the team for the future games.
1: And if he doesn't make the door, then Christian Pulisic can.
0: Okay. Fair enough. I would, if I was to pick someone to survive, um, gosh, because I mean, I am gonna be stuck on a maroon island with them. I want to be able to uh, talk with them pretty well. Um, they gotta be good survivalists. They gotta be um, tough. Gosh, but they—I feel like they also gotta be uplifting. You know, they gotta—they gotta have some kind of spirit in them to keep it going. So you are not just like want to end it all. You're like I'm a, this, we're never getting saved. We're ne- This isn't it. They gotta keep well, it going.
1: You are down to like two people who are, like, really happy, so you could either pick Kurt Zuma in that situation, or you could pick Conte. Yeah. But, like, you're the Germans are definitely out, because they would prefer to speak German, and I, do you yeah. speak fluent German?
0: No. no I, I then can't. you might
1: get a little bored. Hmm.
0: I feel like Kai would be very silent. He'd be on his own side of the island. <laughs> he does and- like
1: to play piano, so, like, I feel like he's very much
0: solitude. Mm, maybe. Yeah, you know, oh this hard. I want to pick Aspie just because I love aspie so much and everything like that, but I don't know. My gut's not telling me to go with Aspie. I don't want to go with someone just happy. I mean, Zuma I feel like Zuma would be a good pick, you know. I mean, he's happy, he's funny, he's strong, he he probably could he probably could do um a number against anything that comes and attacks me so I can hide and he could fight it off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so you're throwing him in front of the bus? Basically. This man's a building. Am I not supposed to?
0: I got you, Kurt. I got you. Stand behind me, and he's just gonna look <laughs> down be... at me like, "Are you serious?"
1: I will be your cheerleader. You uh, you go fight that bear.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So... I mean, logically, if I was going with my logical answer, I probably would have said Zuma because he's tall and can reach things. Well, that's good. That's and good he's point. like, Told he you. is strong. He could build me like a little hut thing, you know. Mm. But, like, my illogical answer is definitely Ben Joval.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: At least I have Kate.
0: <laughs> I feel like Ben would focus too much on his looks while he's on the island because he seems like a pretty boy. So I feel like he'd be trying to find all this kind of, like, homemade mousse and, like, <laughs> the, like these coconuts and stuff or whatever and just make it to his hair is super slicked back still.
1: He's <laughs> gonna find a way to make coconut oil.
0: <laughs> Honestly. And you know what? I would have picked Reese, but i feel like reese would be so intimidating to be with that he'd be so serious i'm just like all right i want to survive and all but can i at least have a good time on the island too
1: i feel like that's almost like besides the f- well you could also go with somebody like billy gilmore despite the fact that he's kind of tiny and like he's definitely not really that intimidating at least to me he's not that intimidating he's just adorable like, at least, you know, you'd have fun. He looks like he'd be a lot of fun.
0: Billy probably would be a good time, but everyone says they can't understand Billy, but I actually can understand Billy because um, I have Scottish heritage in me. So listening, understanding Scottish people isn't that hard for me for some reason. I don't know why, but um, unless you can understand Scottish people pretty well, he does have a thick accent. Uh, I don't know if you've heard him speak.
1: But Oh yeah, that's one of, one of my favorite interviews is the interview where he and Conte are together. And he starts He's like, speaking and Conte just looks at him like, what are you even talking about? And for me, I've been to France. And there are some French people that have very thick accents and it's very confusing, but like, poor Billy.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: <laughs> poor Billy in this accent.
0: <laughs> so to put a bow on this segment, we're going to, I'm going to put Zuma as my answer. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. And I don't think Zuma gets enough credit for some kind of answers like these. so Zuma, congratulations. You survived the crash. And you know what? He, if you're going to rebuild Chelsea Football Club around one player that survives a crash, he, he, you definitely could do a lot worse than Zuma. He, he'd he be pretty good. He's young. He's still one of our best players. I think he'd be okay. Yeah.
1: Plus, isn't he usually the one that is pulling pranks, too? So, like, at least you know you'd have fun.
0: Yeah. Like or or fun. I'd really want to get Faith. off the island away from him. Because <laughs> he would just he would just be putting like spiders and everything in my bed my palm tree leaf bed okay so this um since it's technically actually i think the only fourth episode we're probably gonna we've published so far and it's so weird because the last episode we had was chelsea therapy about when things were going really bad for us and we were just drawing a bunch of games it was like three games in a row that we all got draws on and we've had such a good run of form at everything that I've wanted to record episodes with, but we've never gotten to where we can. So it's just circled back to another episode of, oh my God, everything's going tits up. We are just, we're just screwed right now. So I I really, I need some, I need another stretch of games. that are going really well. So I can have a happy episode again, but nevertheless, um, this is a new segment that I want to introduce into our um episodes i call it blues in the news is basically just gonna um, reflect and report on something we've heard either on twitter from a reliable news source um or something like that and the one i want to um report about is, is simon phillips um, i'm assuming you've heard of simon phillips yes okay yes, well he um tweeted out i believe it was today a part of a podcast or something um it looks like you no know, frank lampard has been reported to be having the full backing of the Chelsea board and everything still, regardless of everything that's been going on. Obviously he still always has pressure of him, but as of right now, it looks like publicly they're saying there is no plans to replace him and they have not spoken to any managers. And I know anybody listening to this is probably going to have a take on Lampard in versus Lampard out and everything like that. I'm really not going to entertain that conversation. There's not going to be any talk about any potential managers Ring and everything because I don't know about you, Brittany, but I am fully lampard in, and I just I don't think there's any really point in entertaining the conversation, even when things are going wrong. Because to me, it's not a matter of all right, he's not doing um, he's not doing a good job right now. Who who can do a good job? It's a matter of okay, he's not doing a good job right now. What can he do better? How can he improve his job? I mean, am I wrong?
1: No, I don't think you are. I mean, I can definitely see why people would think that but growing up in a town where literally we have not won anything since the year I was born which is I don't know like 27 years ago um we've had the same I think the Bengals got a new coach like three years ago I mean we're still terrible it's fine but I also think that the board brought him in for a reason and whether he stays past the three-year plan or not, I think this season is a bit of a enigma to begin with. I don't think any teams have really solidified, like, we are here. Everybody has had fantastic games. Like, I forget who Liverpool is playing. It's been a while. Um, beat them 7-0. Like, had a fantastic game. They've drawn their last two games, and it's to not great teams. So, uh, the whole because you've lost three games he deserves to leave why because we're in a process of bringing in six new starters because we're in the process of trying to figure out formations when players get injured you know injuries are going to be very high this season with very little preseason with so many games jam-packed together there's so many external factors that when you think like oh we're playing awful there's no tactics Does he need to learn things? Sure. I mean, he needs definitely needs to take into consideration better game management, Um, you know, changing formation, changing tactics per team and per game. You know, you have to look if you're if something's not going well at halftime, like think of the Arsenal game, nothing changed. (laughs) He might have brought in new people, but did he tell them anything? Did he switch a formation? Did he? You know, like, sure, everybody plays bad games, but the idea that you want to give this man a season and a half and they'll likely spend more money in the transfer window if things are being reported correctly that he wants Declan Rice to come. You know, you have to give the players time to adjust and you have to give him time. He's not going to get it right within a year. I mean... I just, I don't understand. I I don't get it. You can't continually switch managers and think, Oh, this guy has done it before. He's going to come in within a week. We're just going to be winning games. That's literally not how things work. You have to trust the process.
0: Yeah. And I know it could be really hard for people to do that because a lot of people who are listening to this may argue that that is how you get things done because And if you look at Chelsea's past history with managers, with cycling them in and out, they've normally delivered on their first year or their second year in the trophy in some form of fashion. And I think it's easy. I'm I'm not easy to say, but based on our history and how these things are gone, I would say Chelsea fans are a victim of the clone of the club's own success because that, because when we introduced this formula that if something doesn't go right in a year or so, we bring someone new in and we win something almost right away. You would see, you would say it's hard to argue with, with the facts that that works. But the fact of the matter is, you're not creating a culture of, or a family of like a club's identity by constantly just doing a revolving door of world class managers come in, win something, go out, win something, go out. And it's just, because something I love about Chelsea Football Club is it feels – the players, everything, it feels like a family to me. When I look at other clubs, sure, I'm a little biased, and maybe I might not see everything going behind them. They don't see much, as much like a family as Chelsea Football Club does. That's what stands out to me. But the thing about a new manager just coming in, like a revolving door and everything, and no real projects happening, that feels like a business to me versus like a family. I don't want – Chelsea to look like a business to me, regardless that it is a business, I want it to seem more passionate than that. I want it to be more like, I want to have more feelings into having someone. And I remember before as much crap went down around him, Antonio Conte, I absolutely loved. I loved having Conte at the club because I loved how passionate he was. I loved how exuberant he got on the sidelines when stuff was going right and everything. And I was hyped to have him. I was really happy. And then everything went down. And now I feel like Conte's legacy is almost tainted, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think it almost, it's similar to, I mean, I went to Alabama. So I, I'm i used to winning. I, I like winning. But, you know, they had to give Nick Saban time to establish himself and establish the culture and the standards. And I think a lot of it and why, and I mean, granted I wasn't as much on football Twitter last season as I am now, but I think a lot of it is people had very, very high expectations coming in with the amount of money spent and they're expecting all of these things to just immediately happen. And I I get that, you know, when you spend all this money, you automatically assume like, we should win. But I also think that Frank is trying to do something similar to what Conte did, where he's trying to build a culture and to build a family. And I think you can kind of see it in the way that the guys treat each other, in the way that they are off the pitch or the way, you know, you see the videos of them in training and they're all laughing and joking with each other. And like, I i don't know i i guess like i think that because expectations were so high that that's where a lot of it like them wanting to get rid of him comes
0: from i definitely hear so now for those that might not be super familiar with college football and the nfl and everything um and those that are familiar with you they know you're a bama fan they know you're a patriots fan and everything like that for Nick Sabian – I said Sabian for some reason. Nick Sabian and uh, Bill Belichick, how many years do you think it took them to get the ball rolling before they ushered in it basically what I would call an era of dominance? Because when you look at the past – if you look at just at the SEC titles and then you look at national championships, Alabama's dominated. They're, they could win another one this year, but they've just dominated. You look at the Patriots franchise and everything – the past decade or two, they've been dominant. They've almost dominated the AFC every year. Tom Brady's won, I think, is it five Super Bowls he won? I mean, uh, I think it's six. Is it six? It could be. What I wouldn't, if... I probably lost count. Good. Tom Brady. The, yeah.
1: It, it, <laughs> the, the only, the one that stands out in my mind because I live in Atlanta now um, is the one will we need to him so
0: um
1: <laughs> and there were 283 diamonds on their their ring
0: <laughs> i hate the pe- i love the pettiness but oh my god it's crazy but okay going back to the question how since you're just a lifelong fan for them what do you, how long do you think it took before these projects actually got some footing
1: i mean i can remember back with alabama and hell you can even look at clemson and dabo sweeney as an example like when they brought him in it wasn't like clemson automatically went 12-0 and i mean when they brought nick saban in i remember i think the first season he went five and seven and the second season he went six and six and i mean after that you know like there's a process that he went through and granted yeah you know, similar to what a lot of the new, the new incoming players have said about Chelsea. um, A lot of players have said about Nick Saban is they were drawn to the club or the team because of him. And I think Frank has a lot to do with the recruiting, just like Nick has a lot to do with the recruiting in Alabama. I mean, sure. Now they probably like to win, but (laughs) you know, it, it took him a few years and I think, you know, you have to get settled. You have to, establish what you want to do and it needs time it doesn't just happen overnight I mean Bill shoot I want to say Bill was still coaching or Bill had started coaching when Drew Bledsoe was still the quarterback and you know you he had to make a decision when Drew got hurt and who would have thought that a fifth round draft pick was going to be a man who won five Super Bowls And I'm sure his offense had changed over the years to be more centered around Tom, just like Nick in the, I want to say it was for the 2017 season, but it was in 2018, just like the 2018 Natty for Alabama. When we played Georgia, Jalen wasn't playing well. So we dropped him and put into a, we won the game. It's similar to what Frank did with Timo. When you lose confidence or you're not doing well, you drop him and like, you can see bright spots, but it doesn't happen overnight. I struggled for years watching Alabama because they weren't great. And then they got great, and it's been fantastic. And now, well, kind of like you said, it's a product of the excellence. Now, when we don't win national championships, it's like a failure. Not so, definitely.
0: And I it feel, doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight. And last year, I kind of look at last year as almost like a – prologue to Lampard's career because he obviously had the transfer ban, the hindrance. He had to bring up a bunch of uh, Academy. Well, I I say Academy players, but people who had played for the Academy and everything to come in and play larger roles in the team than you would normally had in any previous Chelsea sides where mostly all the reinforcements and everything were brought through the transfer window. So I, and the fact that he reached top four and FA Cup final, like in that season, after only managing, I believe, one year at Derby before that and bringing all that kind of mix in and everything he faced, I think he overachieved. I like There were things we could have done to have probably finished higher, but in terms of where everyone expected us to be, I think he overachieved. So now this year is really with the year I'm trying to evaluate him on and say, okay, Lampard, You've had two about two years, I think, in professional managing. You have a full arsenal of people you have brought in through the transfer window. Great signings and everything. So what are you going to do with them? And I am not ready to make any kind of final judgments on him anytime soon. I wouldn't honestly even evaluate this until the end of the season. And I, serious, I wouldn't take serious evaluation unless we missed top four or if we barely got in at the fourth spot, like we did last year, that was the only thing I would really cause me to really evaluate if Lampard should stay here. But um, there's a few more things I want to talk about with blues in the news, but, and we will definitely talk about Lampard much more in the episode and everything. But um, as far as other news, two other things Simon Phillips reported on Olivier Giroud looks like, well, he's going to be offered a one-year contract extension, which it's pretty awesome because despite his age, Giroud is still in fantastic form when he plays for us. Um, I believe his um, his goals per minute uh, stat is pretty good. I don't have it pulled up right now, but I mean, you can see by becoming the oldest uh, oldest player to score f- a hat trick in the, in the Champions League, I believe, and get four goals in which nearly a perfect performance because he got a perfect hat trick and then a penalty. I mean, he's in form. I mean... And I, so he was thought to be the third the third striker because Timo was supposed to be the first, Tammy was probably going to be the second, and Giroud is going to fight between them for the second and probably the third spot. That's, it's pretty amazing to think about the depth we have at the striker position right now, regardless of if Timo is playing like a striker or not. I mean, that is pretty crazy to me. So the fact that we might get Olivier Giroud on a one-year contract extension And also we might actually get Tiago Silva on a one-year contract extension as well. That is some leadership and depth that I cannot complain about. I also did a tweet um, a few days ago about I would be open if Giroud was leaving for for sure he was leaving. I'd be open seeing Diego Costa come back in. That was a little bit just for the reminiscence. I totally forgot about everything bad that had happened with him and everything on his uh, exodus. But I thought for a third-tier strike, uh, for a third-choice striker, having Diego Costa just come and bring some shit houssery back into this team against like uh, teams like Spurs and everything, I thought that would have just been funny to see. I thought it would just been enjoyable.
1: Is from Footy Stats because I did Google this. Google's great um, for Olivier. It he has .75 goals per ninety minutes. Damn!
0: so almost a goal a game correct compared to what he's been playing that's pretty good i mean
1: although the daily mail has it is he's averaging a goal every 76.7 minutes wow i like that one started
0: i like that one wait that's so that is at least a goal a game jeez yeah either way the- it is that um is that all competitions or is that just premier league
1: uh, this says he's averaging a goal every 76.7 minutes a brilliant return from his 11 starts in 22 games overall so i guess they're only using or they're using all of it okay i mean and grant fair i will give him any
0: game he has played because every competition gets us further to a trophy of some sort so i think every game really should count and i do say that even for barnsley if we had gotten further in the carabao cup because you got to start from somewhere. Every get, and That's why I don't knock Kai Havertz getting a hat trick. It was a beautiful thing when it happened. Okay, last bit of uh, blues on the news. It looks like Chelsea is going to up the chase for Declan Rice this window. Now, I have mixed feelings on this. But positive, I think Declan Rice bringing, coming in could do amazing things for us because I'm still worried that if Conte gets hurt, we're going to go back to square one. And I think that we're going to, we're gonna struggle with the sixth position. I don't want to see Jorginho there. It's not that he's not a good player; it's just he doesn't fit the role. I don't trust Kova there personally. I don't. I think it's a little too early to throw Billy in there and say start every game. So Declan is kind of like the perfect perfect depth. Or to I wouldn't say transition Conte because Conte for the most part has been playing phenomenal. I think he had a rough game against um, it might have been Villa and Arsenal to be honest, but. Ah, uh, one of those he was pretty pouring, but for the rest of them he's been pretty well. So I when I don't say Declan comes straight into this team and replaces Conte, I don't say that one bit. But I say it's po- it's it's mixed feelings because on the negative side, West Ham have been in actually some great form. Some way, somehow, they are actually, if I can, uh, bring up the Premier League table, they are sitting tenth right now. Okay, and they were at seventh or so, I think a week ago, they're one game off of us too. They are three points off of us. That's incredible compared to what West Ham were like last year. So they have no reason to sell Declan to us. They are going to price gouge the heck out of us to take Declan away from them. Even if you ask for a transfer request, I, so as great as he would be in this team and as he could help us out a lot compared to taking him in the summer, possibly I don't want to think about what the transfer fee they're going to demand is. And I know Marina is great, but if I'm being honest, if it was straight up Declan for money, I don't think we could negotiate any lower than $50 million. I don't think we could get anything lower than $50 million. What do you think? I
1: mean, I'd, I'd have to agree. And I wonder if, because Frank wants him so bad, if he wants him to come in, to play with Conte or like, why, you know what I mean? Like why pay that money for a backup? Does he have some kind of formation type thing? And if he, to go back to Giroud and the one year contract, I would be interested to see a four-four-two with both Giroud and um, Timo up top. you know so that they could both kind of get central I think Timo plays better central as does Kai but I wonder if you know you have to wonder if you're going to pay that price tag you're really going to pay that price tag for a backup so does he have a plan to slide him up is he playing him with Conte is he trying to do it to manage Conte because I think there was an article today that they posted about Frank and Conte talking about his playing time and his fitness and, you know, making sure that he stays fit and stuff like that. So I, I really don't see them going any lower than 50. I think it would be closer to, I think the estimates they've said are eight is 80. Um, But you'd also have to think, well, who do we have realistically that we can transfer out and get a good bit of money from in January enough to buy Declan that early, because I think the longer that West Ham hold on to him, the more money they're going to want.
0: I think the only kind of leverage we could have to lower the price is if we sold one of our center backs. And I don't even think they're actually in a spot where they really need a center back per se. I know Declan occasionally plays center back for them, but obviously he's predominantly a midfielder. I think Bob Buena and Akbana have been holding it down for them. And I know they have Diop too. I don't know if he's hurt or just benched right now, but I don't know if they necessarily need a center back, but out of Christensen and Tamori and Rudiger, uh, I think those are the only people we could actually sell them that they could be interested in that would lower that price. I don't think they would take Alonzo or Emerson. And I don't think they really need either of them um, for their squad depth. I don't even know if they need one of our center backs. But as far as trying to lower the price, I can't think of any other kind of move for that. Unless it's a little iffy, you yeah you maybe could loan Billy Gilmore out to them and and see if they'll knock it down. But I I I don't even think that'd be a really viable option. I rather I'm I'm mixed on Billy right now because for his development plan, I think he does need a lot of. Uh, a lot of playing time and experience which i think he could get with us but it's just depending on how fast they think they could phase out georginio because i've said before i think i think billy will phase out georginio in
1: the long-term plan um within like a year or so but from what frank has said and the fact that he wants to keep billy i'd have to agree and it wouldn't surprise me i don't think frank would look to do it in january but yeah. i have a feeling Georgina would be one of those people in the summer that frank is trying to offload i but realistically for a january window i mean and to give west ham I, i i don't think billy would fit the role of what declan does for west ham considering he is their captain he is a big leader for the team and he is that big voice in the center that kind of grounds them and you know granted that he has great players around him and they are playing very very well but I don't think we just don't have any players comparable that could even lower that price but I do agree that Billy will phase out Jorginho I think Jorginho is going to be one of the people that they're looking to get rid of in the summer yeah
0: I I 100% say Jorginho will not leave any sooner than the summer just because I I don't I can't see any type of uh, catalyst to push him out that soon because he's clearly has a role in the team right now right now whether it's squad depth or being vice captain and off the off the pitch leadership um, and there's nothing really bad there's been no uh, bad feelings toward Jorginho amongst the team and everything like that it's just a matter of he doesn't fit the role of the number 6 and everything I think it's fairly understood by probably him and the rest of the team. Even though a lot of people will still say that Jorginho still posts great defensive stats and everything, I mean, you can't ask him to just outpace, like, the fastest people in the Premier League who will kill him on the counter or some of the strongest that will just throw him to the ground. I mean, we have the highlights. So it's nothing against Jorginho. He's a quality player and everything like that, but he needs to be in the side where, it's more suited to his style not not content he's kind of like a bulldog in my opinion where he's just going attacking and he's like mopping up everything that comes his way and everything and he's ready to chase down stuff whereas Jorginho is just more of like the settled at the back like the the the, the orchestrator like he distributes everything around and he's just not meant to go chase down everything that comes his way i mean, the, I mean- and- sorry keep going
1: I mean, you can see it in the Villa game because when you have people like Grealish and McGinn and Watkins, it they were nailing him on the counter, and it. I mean, I I think he's talented. I just think for the plan that Frank has, it's not enough.
0: Yeah, I t- I totally agree. So okay. And so we'll end that segment for Blues in the News. Uh, I have a couple of people. I'd probably talk a lot more about the January transfer window, but I kind of want to save that for a separate episode because I do want to get through uh, kind of the rest of uh, the agenda on the board. So we need to talk about our bad form. The past two games, Arsenal 3-1 and Aston Villa 1-1. Yeah, it's – it has thrown football Twitter into an absolute – some people are dubbing it world war three, but that's kind of regard to a few other things, but Lampard in versus Lampard out. Ooh, the fan base is all over each other. It is bad. Now let's look at Arsenal three, one, let's check out the lineup. So we line up in a four, three, three, we got Mendy at back Reese, James, Zuma, Silva, Chilwell, Kovacic, Conte, Mount, Pulisic, Abraham, Werner. And that is Werner on the left wing, Pulisic on the right. Now, when, it's, when I look at the lineup, I'm okay with it other than the fact that Pulisic and Werner are on the wrong sides. They should have been flipped. But as far as personnel goes, I think Frank got that one right. And I think if Pulisic and Werner were playing on the right sides – oh, I say right sides. I think Pulisic should be on the left wing. And then Werner, I mean, he's, he's already playing out of position. So if he's going to be playing in position already, why not just play him on the different side? But I
1: think it's because – timo himself prefers the left if he's like granted he doesn't want to play winger to begin with but i think he also prefers the left and to me personally christian is a more versatile winger than timo is i mean i don't think timo should be touching the wings but that's neither here nor there yeah
0: i agree but i also think too that if you look at as at the left wing position who would be better in the left wing? I would say Pulisic would be better than Werner in there. So I feel like you're already sacrificing Timo's ability a little bit, but put it, put it, placing him on the left. So why sacrifice Pulisic as well and put him on the right? I'd rather have Abraham at full strength that's striker, uh, Pulisic at full strength at left wing, and then you have just Timo on the right wing. Honestly, like, I guess the thing about Timo is that he, on the left wing, he does not cut in enough. He drives down the sideline. He goes to the corner and then he stops. And he gets pushed to his left foot so easily. And he is not left footed, not at all. And he does not have techers. He doesn't have a lot of dribbling to him. He's just fast. So then that's the nature of the game. So my thing is, if Timo is going to have a foot race against someone and on a wing, why wouldn't you want to put him on the right side where he's prop at least? If he gets pushed to the side, he can kick that ball and just swing across in and hell might hit someone. Timo hits that with his left foot on the left wing. That thing is not going anywhere except the freaking stands. I'm sorry. I Timo will not hit that like at a good angle back in. But on the right side, you if he's going to hold it, play. All right. Hold it up. Distribute it around. If he's going to go down there, try to beat someone and swing it in, at least he's on his dominant foot to where he can swing that back in. And help abraham he might not head it in but he might be able to push it down for someone he's for pr- abraham credit to him he is not that great at heading something i do think he's good though he is have you noticed how good he is with his chest and directing balls in when he comes in through the air like he is great think- at pushing that first time down into someone's feet
1: I think Tammy's, besides scoring, Tammy's big talent is his first touch. I mean, granted, sure, he's not great with headers. That's something that can be taught. But whether it's his chest or, you know, he drops it down, he has a fantastic first touch. But I also agree with your earlier point. Christian should play on the left, period. But I was trying to play devil's advocate as to why he might have slotted timo to the left because he's more comfortable there i get I, I don't know I, I don't think he should be there but i don't think we should have hindered christian considering the only bright spot in the arsenal game was christian especially with both um, reese and ben kind of being hurt still um
0: yeah that was surprising that they found their way, <laughs> way back in i i don't know what uh they finally broke out the the icy spray that they spray on people on the pitch, and then all of a sudden they're good to go again they They must have broke out a couple of cans of that to put them back on that pitch. It didn't I, mean, I literally thought Frank said in this press conference they're not available
1: well, and I thought he definitely is at least for Ben, I thought he said that like through New Year's he wasn't gonna be back like I don't know if it was him trying to like be like psych, <laughs> just kidding, but uh I mean. When it comes Little to mind games, of... it
0: doesn't seem like he plays them that much when it comes to injuries. I mean, I feel like Lampard's been pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, they're not ready. They're not ready. <laughs> like
1: I don't know if he was trying to, you know <laughs> he's never used this as a tactic before, but I saw that and was kinda like, um, did y'all like give him a cortisol shot or <laughs> is this just hope for the best? <laughs>
0: no i mean
1: i i it backfired because reese is now hurt yet again but at the i yeah i i like the link up between ben and christian much better than i like the link up between ben and timo because timo doesn't come into the middle when he's on the left as much and ben usually likes to float outside and you'll notice and i mean it was more evident in the villa game but Christian will float in when Ben comes down the wing and Timo just doesn't. And I, I think Reese tends to come in more towards the central, whereas Timo will drift out wide on the right. So why Frank was like, yeah, let me put Timo on the left. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, Let's not. <laughs> no, but, all right. I, I see why Frank
0: did it, but I'm calling it a mistake. It's just one of those mistakes and I think it's something that he realizes we can't do anymore. And I think the only reason that that he uh, the team has played so long on the wings is because we just didn't have the personnel. Just when you have Ziyech and Callum both hurt, I mean, you got to do something unless you're trying to have Havertz and uh, mount on the wings. And we're not trying to touch that with those 10-foot pole again.
1: Um, no, let's not go there.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's not. So as far as the lineup goes... I think it was good, aside from Pulisic and Werner are on the wrong sides. What I didn't understand was how the heck we lose 3 1 when that's arguably our strongest team available. I mean, it is our strongest team available at the time, but on a natural given day, that's who I would line up. Like, if I, like, the only difference I would have is if uh, I would probably put Timo in the center if he was in good form, and I would put Ziyich on the right. I mean, that was, that was what I would do. It's not that much different. And against an Arsenal team who has been horrible and who honestly had a bunch of youngsters, it felt like, in. And, I mean, the pet, I think it was Mari, that center back, and wasn't good. They, had, they have Aubameyang out. They have Emil Smith-Rowe playing up at, like, a number 10. They have Saka playing right wing. And Mar- Gabriel Martinelli, God, I thought Gabriel Martinelli was going to freaking do something. I was praying he does. He didn't get a goal or anything, just so I don't have any Arsenal people just bantering about, oh, it happened again. And then you have Mohamed Elneny. Uh, sorry, Mohamed Elneny. Where did he come from? Because he resurrected his Arsenal career somehow a few games ago, and the fact that he's one of their players again on their side – it, it it just bewildered me. You know who they had on their bench? They had Pepe on their bench, who they spent like seventy k for. I I thought Dom, uh, they had Danny Ceballos on the bench. I thought um, I don't know where's Thomas Partey. They just I'm is he I'm hurt? Conv-
1: uh, I thought he was on their bench.
0: No, he. I'm looking at the bench right now. Thomas Partey does not look like he is on the bench.
1: Oh well. I'm convinced at this point they sacrificed mullen for that one
0: yeah that they did something but see when the look, they they did something magic but when you look at the goals by themselves the first one the penalty it is very very hard to say that was a stone cold penalty for me but at the same time it did it did not look it did not look like Reese was totally innocent because it looked like he clipped him a little bit, but it also looked like Tierney might've been going down and with the game speed and everything it's, I can see, I can definitely see why it was called and that the VAR, it has to be a clear and obvious error to overrule it. And I can see how it could have not been a clear and obvious error, but I think it could be if you, you had to really slow that down to be able to say it wasn't. So the penalty yeah that, that happened um well so, so, uh the second goal was uh i believe it was Sokka's. the one that was not even meant to be a goal it was just a bad cross it was the zappa costa rebirth goal do you remember that goal the zappa did a cross in and it just ended up going right in the corner we just bloop. yeah so you can't tell me saka meant to do that he um he he did not. So, um,
1: the second goal was the free kick. So,
0: was, yeah. was it uh, um, Chaka's goal? Chaka and Saka? Uh, uh, it
1: was Zaka's goal. Uh, Saka was the third goal. Yeah. Zaka was the second. Yeah. That is very confusing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. But, Shaka, I mean, I don't know how he's in here too. Because last year, I thought this man was on his way out. I thought that he had a huge fallout with Arsenal or something. And that. I thought he was on his way out, but granted it was a beautiful kick and Mendy couldn't get to it. He got a fingertips on it, I believe, but it was just too powerful. And then Shaka just threw a goal that was not meant to be a goal. And here's what I'm going to say about Mendy conceding three goals. I'm disappointed because he scored three goals or sorry. He conceded three goals, but also these were three goals that I don't know if many people could have saved. I don't know if All Black would have saved this. I don't know if Allison would have saved this. These were three goals that two of them were literally at the very edge of the goal and were very improbable compared to what normally happens with these shots. And one was a penalty kick, and that's just naturally very hard to save. Now, I think Mindy of- always goes to his right too, and that might have been known, but regardless, I it's a yeah, penalty kick is hard to always uh, be able to save
1: and I mean some of these kicks I mean soccer, in particular it kind of reminds me of because I get very bored and I watch other teams play it kind of reminds me of Harry Winks's goal when he was like 60 yards out and it looked like he didn't mean to shoot the ball but the ball went in and it was like one of those awkwardly like hits the bar and then bounces down and just the angle of some of these goals, it's I mean, there's not a lot that Mendy could have done.
0: No, I don't think Mendy honestly could have saved these. I don't he is, I think, 6'6 six, six or 6'5, six, and he has basically the best chance to be able to save this. But I I don't blame him for not saving it. But at the same time, I'm gonna say I'm disappointed he didn't. Because these are all goals identical, I think, to what Keppa went through, and I was extremely disappointed when Keppa conceded these and everything like that. But so I feel like at the same time I got to keep that same energy. If Mendy concedes these, regardless if they are like, uh, if they're just like wonder goals awkward. or not, yeah, they're just awkward goals. They're they're ones you wouldn't count on. But I can't I can't just I can't just say I bashed Kepa for this and then just say oh it's not mendy's fault or anything like that i something maybe could have done but i'm not going to i'm not going to fault him too much i don't think my defense is i don't think anyone would have really saved those uh, the penalty kick maybe maybe the free kick but it would You would it would be hard you'd be hard done by to say mendy was really really bad to, to yeah. save any of those
1: i mean and he hasn't looked super great i mean he's made some i mean he he definitely made some errors within the game you know and, and i think and i don't know if it was just going into this game morale was bad they were tired just in general they looked so sluggish and so out of it almost like it, it felt like the twilight zone they, like they, like they had no so, drive there was no intensity no passion it was kind of like all right let's hope for the best it was very ho-hum and i guess i should ask you know because we're going through the goals if georginio is in the game do you think he should be our penalty taker
0: no straight up no <laughs> i i'm not even wasting time on that and it, I don't care what his ratio is anymore. I've never backed his penalty taking technique. I've always said one of these days, this is going to come back and backfire bad because any it never changes. No, it never changes. It's always the same technique because rarely, I don't, people do not really change their technique. I don't believe when it comes to penalty Cakes, because they're consistent with that. It's either driven hard with power, normally, or some, or a very precise type of, uh, like a finesse or something, into the corner, or it's something more charismatic, like a stutter step, like Jorginho does. And this, see, the, at, at the end of the day, the best goalkeepers will know who is about to take the penalty kick. They will know what they like to do, and they will know how to stop it. Jorginho is one of the most predictable people when it comes to penalty taking and is probably one of the easiest people to actually stop if you study him because all he does is stutter and wait for you to make a move and then picks. But when he ever shoots, it's not even much with power. He normally gets all of his um, free kicks based on misdirection. Some of them, they guess the right way, but he gets them into the side net enough to where they're unsavable. And credit to that, but here's the thing, there are not that many of his of uh, free or sorry, I don't know if I have been saying free kicks or not. Um not many of his penalty kicks that go in that are can always on that side netting. A lot of them are misdirection. So if that goalkeeper just waits for him to hit it, I back most most big name goalkeepers to be able to save a Jorginho penalty easily.
1: Especially because there's no pace to them. There is very much a Oh, I'm just gonna hope that I trick you and it's a driven yeah. pass. Pray for the best.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, kind at, of, you know, <laughs> at least when Timo went up there, he smashes it. Even a spilly Quinter can smash a freaking penalty kick if you've watched him. Yeah,
1: but, it. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of i'm i'm done with Jorginho and his penalties at this point.
0: I I'm, I don't believe he deserves to take them any longer, and based on who is still <laughs> available. If I am being honest, I I would have let Mount take it. I would have too. I would have <laughs> let I would have let Mount take it, regardless of what happened um, in his last penalty. What what penalty was it? Was it
1: Liverpool? Um, may, no. maybe. Maybe.
0: Uh, God, I can't. I can't remember what penalty or what penalty kick he missed it was bit oh oh it was the tottenham it was the tottenham game um in when we went to the pk's uh at the end of the game i think Uh, i'm pretty sure that's the one he missed yeah but i i would have backed mount and uh, you know i haven't seen many other of those people take uh penalty kicks i would have backed a good couple of them i mean pulisic abraham Hell, Reese, you
1: know. I mean, I, I don't. I think Christian has done it, but I think it's been more for country. Probably, I think he's done it at a club level. Yeah, but and on
0: paper, you would think. Oh yeah, yeah. You you give it to Georgino. He's got what a ninety percent uh, conversion ratio. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, it's time to put into that. It's. But I mean, what
1: he's almost thirty. I and been playing a good bit of time, and his technique hasn't changed. I mean.
0: Uh, twenty nine. He's twenty nine.
1: Sorry, I think at this point people know what you're about to do, so uh, yeah. might wanna so fresh and so clean clean that.
0: No, yeah. So, so let's look at what the substitutions were made at halftime. Jorginho and Callum came on for Kovačić and Werner. Now, I think come, Callum for Werner was the right move, definitely the right move. Jorginho for Kovačić. I,
1: I think I, I would have rather seen Billy. Well, and in that moment, I didn't really think Mateo was playing all that poorly.
0: I didn't think he was playing terribly either, but I noticed sometimes it looked like he was kind of like a yo-yo. Like, he was just going back and forth and back and forth, but it looked like, to me, he was overshooting a lot of things. And, like, he was just playing like, chasing a lot. Like, he wasn't exactly doing his, like, dribbling his build-up. So, I can see how maybe he wasn't bringing enough, but... I I don't think I would have put Jorginho in. Yeah, no,
1: I I definitely would have chosen Billy. And I mean, even the worst case scenario, I would have chosen Kai before I would have chosen Jorginho, despite Kai's lack of form. I, I just, I feel like the way Arsenal was playing, it was a little bit more physical than what, you know, Mateo is the more physical midfielder than mm-hmm. Jorginho. Jorginho is very passive. And I think that was one of the big issues, especially coming into the second half, is that we needed to be more aggressive. And that's not really Jorginho, at least to me personally. I don't really think he's that, that aggressive the way that a Kovacic or a Kante is.
0: No, I totally agree.
1: And I mean, even Gilmore is... A much more aggressive I mean Kai is very passive as well but I would have definitely if you're going to sub off Kovacic I would have subbed him off for Gilmore because Gilmore has an ability to command the midfield yeah and then
0: um 74th minute looks like Kai comes on for Conte and everything and at this point I know you're uh you're pushing offensively you're trying to back some goals and everything but dang if uh, you get countered and Jorginho is supposed to be the guy that that is supposed to defend you, because when you look at that, that is not a defensive midfield anymore. Like Mount can put a tackle in. Jorginho can put a tackle in if he's with someone else. Like, because people, I feel like people are very misguided about Jorginho's defensive ability and his stats. Jorginho is good defensively when he's already in the right place and he does not really have to move that much. He's decent at tackling um, and intercepting balls whenever he's in the right spot already. It's his mobility that lets him down and it's the mobility that's very much needed in that six role right now.
1: Yeah. It's a, and definitely a lack of pace as well, especially yeah. when you have such a young front side of Arsenal coming in who have that pace He's not, and I think that's why you see him get a lot of cards, because he does go for the risk, you know, risk it for the biscuit, and will play those questionable challenges because he doesn't have the pace to beat them back. And in a game like that, that not having a defensive midfielder, I think, really hurt us. And if you wanted to go more power up front, why not take off somebody like... I don't even want to say Mason Mount because Mason looked great, but why not add a second striker, you know, or change the formation to move it to where Timo is up front with Tammy.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's something I'll probably, uh, I want to bring up a little later is something about uh, Lampard's in game management and how I would like us to have a second formation, but um, we'll, t- we'll close on on that one for Arsenal. So let's look at Villa. Now, when obviously you get a point from this one instead of uh, instead of um, getting Liking. nothing, uh, Villa obviously has been in some great form, full credit to Villa. they've turned into a much better side than they were last season. They have made significant improvements. I did not think Ollie Watkins coming in was gonna do much for them. I was proven wrong. Um, but you know a one- one draw against them, I have to say though, I think we I think we kind of were screwed out of three points. And when I say screwed, I mean screwed by our own players. And oh, yeah. by own players, I mean under his Christensen. I think he I think he did us wrong. He well, I gotta get this out right now, but that he, if you look at that foul, if you're a Chelsea fan, you want to say, Ref, why did Ref Greele stuck his foot out? He hurt Christensen. That's a foul and everything like that. Okay, but also it's not a head injury. The, the ref does not have to stop the field of play as it goes if he stays down and everything. And you think Christensen would be smart enough to know that, but oh my God, if you look back at that hit, that is nothing. I mean...
1: Yo, they want to call Jack Grealish a, dri- a diver? Sir. <laughs> Sir. This this, this this is what I'm going to say
0: about that this. That was a dive. It might... I have... I have played with... Uh, a sprained ankle before and I didn't know I heard it until after my game I have taken balls and shots to every sensitive area you could think of in my body that is pertinent to my life and all I gotta say is I shrugged it off like it was nothing and if you t- tell me that Christensen can't take a little hit on his leg or something and he goes down he's wearing shin guards and Grealish isn't Chris doesn't even wear shit guards, I don't think. He just sucks down half the game. I mean, I'm sorry, but if Andreas Christensen can't withstand a hit like that and goes down for that long, like he's dying, he's not physical enough to be a Premier League center back. He can go be in the Bundesliga. He can begin the Serie A. He's not physical enough for this league if he cannot withstand a Jack Grealish bump.
1: Like, this man literally straight up was like, nah, I'm dying.
0: You know that you know Spongebob audio up. clip of the guy that says, my leg, my leg. My
1: leg. <laughs> That's him. He... and <laughs> I don't think he even should have started. I no. am very bitter over at my corner. Because... I
0: think Zuma should have been made to play a second game. I think Zuma has got it in him. Fully rest Tiago. I think Zuma could have put in a second game. Hell
1: yeah. I mean, I I agree, but in the situation of where they lined up, I will sit in my corner and cry every day over the fact that Frank went from... And, like, with Tiago and Zuma playing, I understand. I understand him not being a first choice now with the players that we have, but, like, you mean to tell me that Frank went from playing Fakayo Tamori every game last season almost to picking Christiansen over him no no AC should not have touched the field I'm sorry Fick should have started and it boggles my mind that Fick has gotten so disrespected this season behind somebody like AC behind I mean Emerson hasn't played awful but like behind Emerson behind AC you mean to tell me this man isn't worthy he used to play with Rudiger, every game, and you're gonna start AC in this situation. Like, the dude ha- hasn't played well in months. Granted, I know Fick hasn't played, but
0: yeah, Fick I, wouldn't have
1: stayed on the ground. Okay,
0: Fick would not have stayed on the ground. Fick deserves better. <laughs> Grealish would have been the one on the ground if it was Fick. Come on, I mean. <laughs> there were-
1: i love jack don't get me wrong
0: oh, i'm not gonna lie
1: there were some times i hate him like i hate run. jack
0: Grealish. he pisses me off so like, much
1: sir, it's because he's, he's
0: good but damn it's because he will go down before he's even touched
1: like i kid you not there were a few times i watched him just fall and i was like why what what doing what what is happening here you weren't even touched and, you just and then he the like gets like, up okay? and like, you know, he goes towards the ref like, hello. And I'm like, sir, you're literally fine. Can I think you, think you can pinch down, him please? on the elbow and he'd fall. Can like, you hey. just like, take a pill? Plus?
0: <laughs> no, I mean, but, oh, I, I respect Jack that he's a class player. He's one of the best in the Premier League right now and everything like that. <laughs> and I get that people want him on our team and they think that he'd be amazing. But I'm not going to lie, a person's character and the way they behave on the pitch, it's a huge factor for me. And I have to admit, I hate seeing people that go down so easily and often when it's not even a clear foul. Hazard went down so much, but that man got bullied. He got knocked over. Like I said, you could flick Jack Grealish on the head just to mess with him, and he would call for an ambulance, it feels
1: like. Well, and I mean, I'm sure people could say the same thing about Christian at the end of last season too, you know, how many times Pulisic was fouled, but like his fouls were legitimate fouls. Oh yeah. (laughs) At this point, I think it's just more comical to see what his, what Grealish's reaction is going to be than anything. Like I would deign to see the day, God forbid, if something like actually happened that was a foul. I just want to see his reaction.
0: He'll probably because he off flips the field.
1: and like somebody pokes him so
0: It'd be really funny if Grealish is going and he runs into the ref and he doesn't know and he goes down. And, and the ref is just like it's me.
1: And,
0: he, and that's just going to be the biggest exposing of Jack Grealish is when he goes down by the ref. Uh, it's it's it has been written i have spoken okay
1: anyways yeah um ac should have, a. Should have started fick. fick deserves better
0: justice for fake
1: justice for fake
0: but <laughs> I, yeah but i also from what i've heard there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff going down i think that has kind of steered fick of course that is maybe tank uh tampered with his image in frank's mind of what he was and what he could be so i haven't i i'm i do plan to actually have an episode centered around Fik and as well as kind of all the center backs that we have on our plate that um are at our disposal but as far as Fik goes yeah rest in peace buddy i missed you i was i was so hyped for you but it
1: might, be, it might be see over. you on the flip side kid
0: it's been real bud but uh because i have a feeling
1: he's leaving in january but that's okay yeah he definitely is he's absolutely yeah (laughs) you'll be
0: missed the question is is he leaving on a permanent or is he leaving on loan i hope it's loan please just be alone
1: uh from the rumor mill it's likely not um whether that's him pushing or he's i mean i i don't live in the Chelsea Football Club housing, so you know I'm I'm not in their front offices. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's asked Frank to leave on a permanent basis. I hope it's just a loan. I think he would benefit from a loan, just like if Billy Gilmore doesn't start playing, you know, if he's not getting minutes second half of the season, I think he could benefit from a loan. I mean, I don't want either of them to go anywhere, but definitely I I see Fick kind of.
0: Fick's not staying Blutter for the second half away. Of the season. It, it's not happening.
1: Goodbye, Fick.
0: Sorry, Fick. Okay, so Mendy and goal, Aspie on the right. We knew James uh was hurt with his hammy, so Aspie at the right. I thought Aspie had a great game, but I also thought he got really like exposed in position uh, occasionally, but the man recovered very well, and whenever he was in position that man was a wall. I, I was I was very impressed when Aspie was faced with actual defending and everything. I thought he did well. I, I thought it, – it's always beautiful to me how well Aspie flows on the right side with Callum and everyone, regardless of the fact that Reese has been the one starting all these games.
1: Well, and as much as I – it's, you know, dismal to say, I think – Rudy had a good game too. I, I don't oh. I don't think he played that poorly. Okay, yeah. Um, there's
0: there's something that needs to be said about awesome. Rudiger. I know he had an abysmal season last season, but all grudges aside against Rudiger, he's not had a bad season. He's not had a bad season at all. He's actually had a pretty good season. If you look back at every game he's played in and how he's played, I can't I maybe can count maybe one mistake or one thing that looked bad. compared to last season he's made a significant improvement to where i'm comfortable with him being the third uh third tier uh center back if need be but i'm also at the same point to right now where if he leaves if he uh, is sold by someone um to barca was a rumor but anybody else uh if he is sold to them i'm not heartbroken i'm fine with it
1: yeah i mean i'm I think for him, though, going to the German national team, I think that helped. And, like, him actually playing with them during the international breaks, I think it elevated his game a little bit and gave him his confidence back. I think that was definitely lacking. And, you know, I'm sure he got shtick on social media, too. But I I really don't think he's looked awful. I mean, but if he's sold, I'm not going to weep into my pillow like I will when Fick is sold. But that's neither here nor there <laughs> yeah so i i think his criticism last season was warranted Oh, definitely. this season i i meh, okay. i think
0: i think all the criticism this season is a little just a bit of like leftover hate um from last season i i think there's just some there's some harsh feelings left behind but i, I you know something i wonder is I wonder if coming back from a long-term injury had a big factor in why he played so poorly last season. I really can't say. All I can say is damn, it was bad. But I'm happy that he has shown improvement. And I think you need to put a little respect on his name that he has had decent showings whenever we played.
1: I mean, yeah. And I I don't think Ben looked bad either. I mean... I no, think there the are a few times that I think the biggest issue that we face with Ben, and it's nothing against him, is that sometimes there, and I mean, Villa is a great example. They can counter very quickly, similar to um, Man United is very good on a counter. Tottenham is very good on a counter. Um, obviously, Liverpool is very good on a counter, and they can do it quickly. And if he is pulled out on that left wing, sometimes he can get into compromising positions when he's trying to get back. I I mean, other than that, which, you know, things on the pitch switch fairly quickly, he has some pace so he can get back. But I I think that's the only issue that I've really seen with him. I think he's been one of our best signings besides Silva. Um, I, I think he's done well. I think, he and Rudy really, during the Villa game, worked very well together. Um, I frequently saw them covering for one another, and um, I, I think it looked nice. But I, I don't think Christensen should have ever touched that back one.
0: No. I think the biggest thing that was missing from this game as far as our center backs go, there was not enough daring passes through the middle like Tiago Silva likes to make, and not enough um, – not enough switches like Zuma's gotten really used to doing. Zuma's long balls improved a lot, in my opinion. And it felt like a lot of um, switching the field came from just pre- precise, like, pass, pass. And then if once it got to Christensen, then maybe he could make a longer pass. But I, I feel like Silva or Zuma would have switched it right away or something like that. And it feels like it's take- it had to take two stops in between having to switch the field.
1: Well, I think Cho did a good job coming in and giving a lot of, I think a lot of what's been lacking is creativity and like really pushing the boundaries because I think a lot of, a lot of the players tend to play it more safely. Um, I, I liked the creativity that Cho brought in with his ability to switch and his ability to, Um, you know, allow Conte to drift forward and go in sometimes behind or in the middle next to Christian and allow him to be, you know, like Mason would obviously cover. Um, But I liked him floating. I think he does a fantastic job floating and adding a little bit of creativity that I think we've been lacking without um, Hakeem playing. And I, I liked that. I also think that what was missing besides you know Zuma's creativity was his presence for corners and um, set pieces I don't like Rudy was nice on the set pieces but he's not as tall or as big as of as of a target as Zuma is so I I definitely think we're missing that but I I think Cho did a great job trying to inject the switches and add some kind of creativity to the game, which I think was a vast improvement from the Arsenal game.
0: Yeah. I think um, it needs to be said, Callum had a very exceptional game, in my opinion. I thought that this is the best I've seen him in a while, just because he seemed more confident. But, I mean, he had one beautiful... I don't know. I think it was to pull a It was an outside the foot cross, it looked like. Do you remember the one I'm talking about? Like he was yeah. maybe at the top of the box on his, uh, on the corner, and he just fizzed it across on a dime to pull a sick. It was pull sick or Ben. I think it was pull a sick. And I'm sad he didn't finish it off, but damn, that would he, have been the assist.
1: Wasn't he also the one who had the cross to Ben for yes,
0: the goal? Yes. That was that, um, I think he had the pre-assist, but um, that ball that I believe Ben got was on his left foot. He sent that all the way across the pitch with that much power and accuracy with his weak foot. That I was like, damn, that is something I love to see when you can just switch your feet up and you can do it with a moment's notice. And that is – if if Callum can use his left and his right – that well, I mean, would ha- having Ziyech in his side gone for a little bit won't hurt as much because his left foot will still be felt. Granted, he won't pop shots with that left, I don't think, but the fact that if he can switch the field with his left, I think that's enough. I think that's enough to look decent, but I was very impressed with Callum. I thought this is some of the closest we have seen to his form under Sarri, where he felt very confident. I think he's getting closer and closer. To being at his what could be his peak, but he still is, uh, I think he still needs to get a little more aggressive on a consistent basis um, when it comes to taking on his men. I do I've heard um, a one rumor that I feel I could have some meat to it that Christian and Callum to combat their constant uh, muscle injuries um, and just their sensitivity, I think that they are being told to monitor or limit the amount of take ons they take. Where they're just trying to sprint past someone in a moment's notice, um, based on how they're feeling in the game. Because I think they're saying, if you feel like you are tired or you're even a little tense in your muscles, just just, just start it over, just switch it to someone else. And it's not, it's nowhere confirmed. I've not actually had an actual legit source. This is someone who brought it up on football Twitter to me, and I was like, you know, I think I think that actually could have some credit to it because. Because they they definitely have got to be trying to monitor their muscle injury injuries and their situation somehow. It makes the most sense to me. I mean, other than saying you can only play like seventy minutes or so, and these guys, I I I, I need to uh, double check this. Um, they played full nineties. That Pulisic and Hudson or uh, Callum playing full nineties is kind of unheard of to us because they've just been so injury prone that pushing them that hard and that long, it just, it, it doesn't seem smart. So maybe, maybe this is what they're trying to do. Maybe they're trying to say, all right, we just analyze the play, see how you're feeling and make, make a judgment call. But just know that if you push yourself too much, you could get hurt.
1: Well, and I think that's one I'm, I'm going to call in a positive from the Villa game. That's a takeaway is that we have now seen Polisic play too full matches in a row and I mean I'm glad now we have a break I'm I'm not gonna lie I was kind of surprised that Frank started him um something that I would be interested to see would be those two on the wings and have um maybe a midfield of Mason Kai and Hakeem with Timo up front or I mean is up front I don't I don't really care I would I would be interested to see a whether it's Mason on the right with Callum or Hakeem on the right with Callum, I would be interested to see those four together.
0: Wait. So did you say Mason, Kai, and Hakeem, or did you mean Mason, Conte, and Hakeem?
1: I, I really just want to see Kai play well in like, that's a more central role. I think I, it, it, probably be more likely to slide Conte over because it would just logically make more sense. Um especially if Frank is going to continue with the 433. Um I I mean having Mason and Hakeem with Conte in the middle and then Callum and Christian wing with either Ollie or Timo up front. I, I'd be interested to see it. Okay. And the just the creativity, whether it's Mason behind Callum or Hakeem, I would like to see their creativity together. I don't think it will ever happen because it wouldn't logically make sense, but it would be fun. It would be a fun experiment.
0: Yeah. Okay. I need some clarification because I thought you said Mason, Kai, and Hakeem in the same midfield three. And I, and I was just like, oh, God. I mean, I think that's the same thing with Georg- having Georgina there is that we have no defensive solidarity. <laughs> in that midfield. But that's the one thing I, I don't know about, uh, about uh, Ziyech playing in the number eight role there. Just because I think his defensive side lacks so much that I think it'd be a little bit of a hindrance. I think that's why mountain is so good in the eight is because he can put a decent tackle in. Yeah, he, he can put a challenge in. I think I like Kova Arcante can sometimes do well in the eight. They're not as offensive or creative as Kai and Akeem but uh they could still at least provide a defensive sense um which I think is I mean, nice
1: any way you want to line them up i would just like to see the creativity and the ability to continually switch you know switch plays switch the field you know draw wide and then come back central it it will never happen because yeah. def- defensively it wouldn't work but i mean Whether I mean, I would also love to see some kind of experiment with Kai actually playing in the position that Kai likes to play in. (laughs) But you know, I'm not, I'm not Frank, so I can't make these decisions. But I would like to see at least once whether we take Pulisic out of the equation and move Callum to that side. Um, I I would like to see Callum and Hakeem on the field at the same time and see what kind of creativity that they could bring and what kind of new spark, new flavor it would add.
0: And if there was a game to do that, it'd probably be the more cam game, uh, the opening FA cup game. That'd probably be the one to try it. But the only reason I don't think that would happen, it's not be- it's less because of how they would play together. I think it'd be more of just when you look on paper, we only have three wingers. It's Pulisic, Callum, and Ziyech. And I don't think Frank would really want to start all three of them because in his mind, he's probably thinking that two of them are going to start and one's going to be a substitute for another, and then the other one's just going to play the full 90. That's the only reason I think that it wouldn't happen. But I do like the idea of having that kind of creativity interchanging with Calvin and everything. I think if you uh, you had put Conte at the six and everything, uh, you just have the right tactics set up, it could work. But I, I think that's what I'm gonna say is like the only reason I think Frank wouldn't do it is because he wouldn't want to field all three wingers at the same time, unless he was gonna pull one out for someone and just shift maybe a team up to the right wing if you pulled Cali. Oh, I,
1: I know logically it would never happen because it would not make any sense. And you can do it on but FIFA it if you want. <laughs> it would be super fun.
0: <laughs> I'll try it on FIFA for you. I'll let you know how it works out. Trying, I'll try it in my <laughs> probably, new career mode.
1: Probably very terribly, but. <laughs> It would, it would be fun to see what kind of things they could get into I mean it it doesn't make sense it make absolutely no sense but it would be fun yeah so maybe it would the team back up
0: <laughs> yeah so uh, were you happy with Giroud starting up front yes yeah I agree I I and with the fact that he got that goal and everything I thought it was a beautiful goal I thought Ben's assist was very well done. I was, like I said, I think we would have won this game if uh, if uh, Christensen had just stayed up. Oh, and I never finished his thought, but I know a lot of people are going to say that Conte Conte was at fault for not tracking back and everything, and all I'm going to say is, yes, I think Conte uh, should have tracked back more, but you also got to watch how um, he was moving and everything. He was watching the top of the box and everything, trying to make sure to challenge someone if he needed to, But at the end of the day, it's Christensen's fault because he's the one who created the gap in the first place. Conte shouldn't have been needed to go back there if Christensen had just gotten up and played on.
1: The biggest thing... To me, it looked like Conte had kind of slid into Christensen's role, but was still trying to maintain that midfield position to watch the box. And I think whether it was Conte not sliding back, you could also technically fault Jorginho for not falling in behind conte who's trying to cover for somebody else so i mean you know there's a lot of like a christensen should have just gotten up period that's he was being a little bitch i'm sorry he was yeah but somebody could have somebody could have covered it sure but i also think in that situation the way that conte was positioned it would have been weird for him to flip that quickly To where the ball was placed, and I mean, Mendy also could have saved the ball.
0: Yeah, I mean that was just unfortunate. (laughs) That was literally as perfect as placement you can get for a five hole. I mean, and you saw how you saw he knew it because he was closing his legs, but it was just too late. Jeez, I mean, yeah, it sucks. I think Aspi actually was the one who had folded into the center back role when Christensen went down because it looked like he was lined up right next to Rudiger uh, to, to, to block the two in the middle. I think that's why people were saying Conte should have folded back and kind of the right side where they got um, hit on. And To be fair, um, El Ghazi was in good, really good form apparently recently, so he probably had a goal with him, so, sadly enough.
1: Batman, so, just in a very opportune position.
0: Yeah. Very unfortunate. I really could have. I really thought that we could have taken three points away from this. I thought it was there to be had. I would have loved to shut out Jack Grealish and all of them. You know, Bertrand Traore. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. He used to play for us uh, a couple years ago. He looked pretty yes. good out there. He, he he was running. He was ca- he was running on that counter like I mean, it was blitzing all around. Oh, yeah. He was nonstop. Like hundred percent. Dark, 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 back and forth, back and forth.
1: Well, and him, Algazi, you know, Grealish, Watkins, Hell, even McGinn, and sometimes Cash are all very quick players. And, I mean, Cash and McGinn have an incredible ability to place balls in very great positions. But I I think a positive was we didn't concede more. I mean, and we had, it seemed like more energy, you know, mm-hmm. and that they, I mean, Villa's in great form. So the, the opportunities were there. I just think we've been incredibly unlucky lately when it comes to putting balls in the net.
0: Um, one last thing I wanted to say about the Christensen thing. If anybody needs any type of justification or proof that what Christensen did was wrong, all you have to do is look up on Twitter JT and Christensen. He literally commented – he replied to someone's comment about Christensen, and JT just said he should have got up. That alone is, en- is just res- is resounding to me that a man who, like, praised Christensen to be a future leader of Chelsea B quality – and then he just... He didn't even side with him. He just said he should have got up. I mean, it's, it's straightforward as it's that. I don't care if he's well, Aston Villa's coach or not. He, it, he would have given it as straight as it is.
1: Yeah, it did. It never... Yeah. He didn't... It's, it's very frustrating. Especially in that situation. like Knowing that we could really utilize those three points. But... I mean, we are where we are. It would have helped. I mean, we would be sitting in fifth right now above Villa. Yeah, <sighs> could have, should have, would have. And, and, you know, what, if Christian
0: is really going to try and pull the I'm hurt thing, you could have at least made it a little more convincing when you came back on the pitch or took more time. That man came back on and he played, like, everything was just dandy. Oh, yeah. No, it's not a good look. Not a good look. Um, so the lineup... Mendy, Aspie, Christensen, Rudiger, Chilwell, Conte, Jorginho, Mount, Callum, Giroud, Christian. The only thing I'm gonna say about this is if you were gonna play Conte all along and play him for a full 90, I would have never started Jorginho. I would have I would have started uh I would have started Billy and the eight and everything like that. And that, to put Conte in the eight and then put Jorginho at the six, I think it's kind of a double sacrifice there uh i was not i was not in favor of it at all i don't know if it's just because you need squad rotation you think Jorginho's just good rotation but i don't know billy uh, when billy came on i think it was the everton game maybe he came on he didn't look that great and everything but i believe uh he's did, did he start was it krasnador way back when he started was this yes, was yes. yeah he okay he started krasnador with tino didn't he is what i think i'm remembering i'm you know i'm just gonna look it up real quick but if i remember correctly he had a full appearance uh yes it had to be krasnador because he won man of the match he won uh he won man of the match uh, and he completed Billy Gilmore has got a man of the match In the FA Cup, Premier League And Champions League That's no small feat Let's just put that out there For a man of his age That is no small feat But he got man of the match In the game And granted The Krasnodar game wasn't great in itself It was a 1-1 draw It didn't mean anything And he didn't get to do great When he came against Everton But at the end of the day He fits the system more than Jorginho does That's oh. all I'm going to say about that
1: I also think he's more willing to take risks, you know, when it comes to challenging players or, you know, trying to move the ball forward or switch play. Um, I, th- I think he's more of a risk taker than Jorginho is. And I'm not going to lie, I was kind of surprised, you know, you see the predictions or the football twitter accounts that tell you oh so and so is projected to start i i think it was shocking that he was projected to start against villa and didn't even come in at all um (laughs) i mean i i would have liked to see him play against villa i think it would have been a good matchup you know uh, especially with he is pretty quick you know seeing him track maybe not in but you know and just in that position, I, th- I think it would have been interesting to see. I think he could have brought something else to the table. But I, I think he's talented. I wish Frank would play him more, but we are where we
0: are. Kind of adds a little feel to the fire that maybe he's getting ready to go on loan if he didn't play any of this arsenal and this Villa game. Maybe they're just not wanting to get hurt.
1: I mean, either that or there. I mean, I don't know why you would be like saving him for Morikami or you know saving him for whatever else is next that isn't that Premier too. League.
0: We don't even know if that's going to go forward on Sunday anymore because of the uh, City getting into COVID. But um, well,
1: supposedly they've reopened their
0: facilities surprisingly. So we'll see how these things turn out. Uh, I believe it was Fulham and Spurs today. They got they got postponed as well they so, did. but the premier league already said there's not going to be any action toward postponing fixtures in a whole so
1: as of now
0: as of now well we'll see but how much i, politics come I in think this.
1: it's it's interesting to note that our next three opponents have supposedly had issues with covid because um, we have man city then the morocon game and then fulham so um We'll, we'll see i mean i i low-key kind of hoped that maybe they would do like a even if it was just like a week-long shutdown mainly for our purposes to kind of like oh, yeah. give us some rest get some people healthy um,
0: well, i i would be okay missing the man i'd be okay postponing man city just just so we can get some people healthy
1: Oh, 100%, because it's, I mean, you know, you look at the last few fixtures. I mean, sure, West Ham was a bright spot, but we didn't really play our best. So when you look at it, you know, you're looking at three defeats, a win and a draw going into, I mean, a a pretty decent Man City team. It's not, they're not awful. I think they're also going through a little bit of a, rough patch but i believe they have multiple games in hand
0: feels like everyone's going through a rough patch except manu for some reason so that's disappointing
1: yeah them and their magic it reminds me of um auburn yeah auburn kind of luck they find somehow you know
0: auburn's gonna win the football game oh my god Auburn's gonna win the football game how bad did you never that it
1: did. happen we don't talk about it like i you know exactly where that was from i can't even begin to tell you how tired i am every single year somehow some way espn will find a way to play <laughs> that damn play and i'm tired i'm very tired of it it was years ago they still suck please get over it please we are tired <laughs> you
0: you gotta keep your wins you know that was that was a good one you gotta keep them somehow to before you raise the white flag all right so let's get into talking about what's Lampard doing wrong overall right now and how much are the players to blame so I want to start this off by I want to pitch to you a lineup and I want you to tell me if this is what you would think our strongest lineup would be on paper regardless of form so regardless of how people are doing, this is probably what our be our strongest lineup. In a 4-3-3, Mendy and Goal, a back line of Reese Zuma, Silva, and Chilbo, a mid-three of Mount, Conte and Kai, and a front three of Pulisic, Werner, and Ziyech. Okay. Do you think, on paper, regardless of how bad Timo or Kai have been doing, that should be our strongest starting lineup right now yes okay i'm gonna ask you another question how many games do you think um, this this starting uh 11 has played together two nope answer is zero this team has never hit the pitch in a single match all of them at once has never been seen yet
1: Oh, that's right, because Christian was hurt.
0: Yep, and then ZH was hurt. And we haven't had them both on the same pitch with Werner at striker or Kai at the eight. It hasn't been done yet. So our strongest team still arguably has not taken the pitch. I don't think people really think about that. And well, I say about people will say why well people say Werner was brought in as a striker and he was and but he's always been playing left wing it's because Pulisic was hurt so he was probably the next best left winger supposedly because I believe uh was Callum hurt at
1: the time I don't think so I don't I think for a portion of it he was
0: I know he got COVID earlier in the year and then he got a small hamstring injury I don't know if he was hurt too long. But either way, here's the thing. Timo was brought in to be a striker and everything. If you look at the tactics of what we are doing right now, it when Timo Werner goes back to being striker, I don't think he's going to do as well in that striker position either. Because right now, the build-up play looks to be like getting it to the wings, interchange a bit, and fizzing across. Timo is not really known for his heading. Tammy isn't really known for his heading. Giroud's probably the best striker to have up there if that's going to be our tactic. But the thing is, this side was built to have Ziyech, Havertz, Werner, Pulisic, all of them in there. And I don't believe you're going to get the best out of them if this is going to be what our tactics are. Because what I'm really hoping is Lampard has something else up his sleeve to work more centrally, just capitalize on counters more when with Werner up top, because if if teams suck in on a low block and everything, Ziyech is gonna do well breaking those down. But I think Werner is going to actually get bullied bad by center backs. And unless he comes shallow and like starts receiving the ball and then dribbling and popping a shot off. I don't think he's gonna be able to capitalize on a lot of these crosses unless they're low. Like in the air. I mean, do you think yeah, Runner's gonna be able to
1: convert much? No. And it's why I would be interested to see a 4-4-2 to kind of give some some depth up front, maybe, you know, have I, Ollie and Timo playing, but I don't think Frank will do it because I think our wingers like to tend to go more forward than play more mid. And I think that's why he chooses the four, three, three. But that's, you know.
0: Yeah. And I think that, uh, I don't know how, uh, I think the midfield two uh, technically when you think, so who would you pick for your two then? Are you going to pick Mount and Conte?
1: exactly that's why I'd, I'd like with the way our midfielders are set up i don't think strategically it would ever work in that setup which is a shame because i would love to see ollie and timo play at the same time because they both bring such different things but i also think that a four three three is likely our strongest lineup because in a in a four four two you would have no well not no but it would the way I mean Mason and and Conte it just it doesn't mix well and I'm not going to put a Jorginho in there and not start Mason and it it just it's sad that we. Like, our midfielders are all very talented, but they're talented in the positions that they're set up in in a four-three-three. Three. So, And you
0: didn't even mention Kai for that midfield, too, either. So that's someone else who's left out. And then Kovacic and Billy. So that's why I feel like Frank's always favored toward a three because he wants at least as many he can fit in there as possible. That makes kind of sense. We have too much midfield. Pe- we have t- our midfield is congested. It it's in a good way. It's congested, but it's also just too many it, good people.
1: Yeah, and it it makes it harder to be able to flip around, you know, formations and stuff like that. Because, I mean, sure, you could look at a, a midfield like that with a Kai and a Conte, but. Why would you leave Mason out in the form that he's in? Or, yeah. you know, his ability to take on defenders, whereas Kai seems to play a little bit more passively. You know, and sure, you have the aggression with Conte, but Mason is also has a fantastic ability to lay balls in, which, yes, Kai has, but, you know, like they all bring such different things that it's hard to put them into a lineup to where it would be super beneficial for the midfield and having two strikers.
0: Yeah. Now I do like your bit about saying two strikers would be good to push up front. And um, it's not four, four, two per se that people have been talking about, but something people have been talking about is a four, one, two, one, two. And I'm not saying this should be our default formation, I still think the 433 should be our default formation. But something I think Lampard's doing wrong is he doesn't have a backup plan for these games. Like when stuff goes wrong, if someone gets hurt, I don't think he has a way to adjust to it enough to where we can still we can still surprise the other team. I think we've become too predictable that if we if we just don't get it done in the first half and for like 10 minutes of the second half we're not saying, mm, this isn't this isn't working. We need to switch things up, switch tactics, formation. We need to put them on the toes. It's just that mm, I think it'll still work. I, we'll just try more. It, it doesn't seem like he has something in his back pocket ready to pull out in case shit hits the fan for some reason. Imagine if, um, God forbid, and I'm knocking on wood, that if uh, one of our wingers got hurt in the game, and, we, and it's in the current one right now, you don't have another winger to put on that is going to be as effective as one of those other ones. Because something I've always said is whoever comes on for somebody needs to play just as good as them, if not better, and um, to be able to be a sub for them. And if you're going to bring on Kai um, to be a winger in case someone gets hurt, that's not the case. That's not going to work well. So in my So what I think is Lampard needs to have a backup formation in hand, which I think the 4-1-2-1-2 honestly could be really good for, because if if things aren't going well, teams got a low block or they're just sucking in the defense and they're just saying, come at us. This is where I think the 4-1-2-1-2 would work. The 4-1-2-1-2 would have, it's the narrow formation. You have two strikers up front. So let's say Giroud and Timo. You're going to have Pulisic on the wings initially, and then, one of the wingers comes out. So you have one winger left on the pitch. Pulisic and Callum are both very good at roaming ground, like you've mentioned before. And you've seen Pulisic many times in kind of a number 10 role. I think either of those guys can work centrally at the top of the pitch, going just working around the box. I think they could work in that number 10 role pretty well. And then when you look at it, the the center defensive I call it based on positions. I know just on FIFA, nobody slating me in the comments for saying FIFA, but the center defensive mid role and then the two CMs, they act as a diamond with a 10. But if you take those out, that is essentially just a three, a three man midfield. Like it looks like already with a four, three, three. So right there is Conte Mount and Havertz or someone that's, and so you basically have your same, your same three-man midfield that you would normally have. The biggest thing is you now have two strikers up top and, um, and a winger who are just acting more centrally. And that's what I feel like we really struggle with is that we don't have any kind of central attack going through the middle. It's always on the wing. Our heat maps are so concentrated on the wings it's ridiculous. It looks like we're not trying anything else. And, you know, the fullbacks are just going to bomb up and down the wings anyway. So why not? And whoever is on the eight can interchange with them on the wing. So our winger doesn't have to be there. It can be the number eight. And I'm, all I'm saying is I think the four-one-two-one-two 2 would be a good backup formation for Frank to train with because you're going to throw more pressure up top. You're going to stop taking it to where it's only on the wings. It's either the left wing or the right wing. You defend that. You just got to have people in the center and the goalie ready to come out to catch across. You take that away. You can start creating catches in the middle. I think it's a big change of plans that the, the defense really has to plan for and really well.
1: Really. And it could benefit not only our strikers and giving, you know, more options and different, you know, because Giroux is very great through the air And Timo's very good at just his, you know, with his pace, he's very good at getting in positions and being able to beat defenders. But I think it would also benefit someone like Kai Havertz who likes to play in the middle and plays through the middle, especially with somebody like Timo who also likes to play into and through the middle, it would give them that element of surprise and not clog the wings and not be so predictable yeah so I, I think he should look into it. i I also think that he struggles a bit in game, whether it's subbing or trying to make tactical changes like in in the villa game it became very repetitive to watch them, whether it's the left wing or the right wing. okay, well, let's have our left back or our right back dribble all the way down the side and oh, we're just gonna cross and hope for the best like that's not always going to work it's just not especially if he's so insistent on playing timo it, it i mean granted he hasn't he played striker for you know the villa game and if he's so insistent on playing timo is not the biggest target so it's not going to work he needs to look at something more where it's a central where we can go and use you know, our midfield centrally to get the ball down the field.
0: Yeah. Did you uh, Did you happen to uh, notice Frank only used two substitutions that game? Yes. Yeah. I thought that was an issue because my personal philosophy is you should never, ever have an unused substitution at the end of a game. I mean, granted, Villa also used two, but the Premier League increasing our bench size and i know they didn't increase our substitution number but if you're gonna have a huge enough bench surely surely someone's tired enough or not contributing enough to be able to make a third substitution i mean i just my personal philosophy is i would you don't have to force a substitution but if you have one ready i don't think you should be too shy to use it that, that's just me well
1: and especially in you know like the the Villa match, when you're coming off basically less than 48 hours of rest. And, I mean, they started... Granted, they were still trying to fire, still trying to find shots, still trying to find a way to win. But at that point, you know, especially for somebody like Christian, who can be very injury-prone, I don't want to say he is... Because once you've pulled your hamstring, it's, it's very easy to irritate it. And I think they're starting to figure out a program for him to manage it. Um, I mean, it, it was definitely nice to see him to play two matches, full match. But I think in an instance like that, somebody like him who it might affect more. Granted, yeah, we need wingers. But again, it comes in with, like you said, a formation change maybe pull him off, give him a little bit of rest, especially knowing that you're playing somebody like City and he was so electric against City last time we played them that you might want him fresh and ready, you know, to look at a formation change and use utilize subbing to make sure that all of the players that you know have played consistently get a little bit of a rest and you know, inject it Difference of formation and difference of tactics, and surprise, and maybe you know, we could have pulled it off and won the Villa game.
0: Yeah, as far as uh, a job, I think uh, chalk it down is adjusting tactics in MBM in formation. Also, chalk down he needs to get better at substitutions. I think this is early in the season, he was really bad at I thought he was really late on his substitutions. I think I got better at it when we were doing well in the season, but that was a bad thing that I had marked on that I wanted to see better with Frank it was the substitutions. I wanted to be smarter. I wanted to be better timed. And still, I still go back to that point a little bit now. Um, so how much, how much do you think the players are to blame? Because in the Arsenal game, I thought the players were to, to blame the majority on and the, a Villa game. I would put it more on Frank. But at the same time, I always always say this. I mean, I'm not trying to always defend Frank at the same time, but he can't just go put on a jersey and play the game himself. I mean, the players are the ones trying to win the game. So how much can we put on these players at the end of the day when they're not performing? And this is not just Timo and Kai who have been, like, bad. They, they've just been flat out bad. We're not giving up on them, but it's just call a spade a spade. They've been playing bad. So you can play them a good bit on them, but they're one part of a whole team. So how much can we really – how much can we blame the players here? I mean, who – besides Timo and Kai, can you name someone who's really been slacking in this team?
1: I mean, I think it differs per game. You know, looking at the Arsenal game, who – besides, you know, him bringing on Joe in the second half or Christian really looked like they had any sense of urgency. It's You know, the players can be at fault when you're not playing with intensity or, you know, there's a lack of drive. I mean, I don't think Kovacic looked great that game. I, I don't think Conte looked great. I don't really think Conte looked great in the Villa game. It, but, I mean, I think for Timo personally it's a confidence thing you know when he got there it, it was a lot of it was more ucl than premier league or um i forget what else we were playing in the beginning of the season it's care about <laughs> um it's it's almost twelve thirty for me so brain is on negative 52 yeah um you, you know it's it's easy to score in those games and I think, you know, once you miss a couple of shots and you're like, okay, this sucks. You know, I think for him, it might be a confidence thing. You know, once he bangs that first goal, it's going to be kind of an epiphany. And I think Kai seems to be coming into his own. I, I don't think Kai should be starting, but I think, you know, coming back from COVID um, and trying to navigate the Premier League and the difference, I think, you know, neither one of them were really prepared, I want to say, for the amount of games, the intensity, the pace, the, you know, the aggression that is the Premier League. It's much different, but I mean, they do look poor. Um, <laughs> there's nothing about it. I, I think Mendy has looked a little off lately um i mean hell even christian at times i i mean i love pulisic and i will ride for him i am american I, I ride for the men's team i think he's been the bright spot for the men's team until recently um has looked poor at times and i don't know if it's just because he's a little nervous going into challenges now um wanting to not become injured the, I mean, sure, you can put some blame on the players, especially for Arsenal when they did look sluggish. But I also think for something like Villa, you have to look tactically. That wasn't it. So I think there's places when you can put a little of the blame on the players. And there's places when you can put blame on Frank and the tactics and not making, you know, quick enough subs or not making the correct subs or correct changes to a formation. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's also just in general fatigue from barely any preseason, so many games continuously, and, you know, injuries, sure. Did the poor form start when we lost Hakeem? I guess. But, I mean... If, losing one player granted we lost multiple wingers all at once but with the talent that was there we could have done better i mean we there were multiple opportunities where we could have capitalized in some of these games and we just didn't so i I think it's a i think it's a combination of both
0: i definitely agree and i think it's also Important to remember that there's a lot of context to everything going on lately with the injuries, the congested schedule and everything. And that before this we were on a huge unbeaten game streak. So it's and then obviously uh, it, I think it was was it Everton that ended that? Uh, I think it was. Yes. The,
1: yeah. the Everson, Everton was the uh,
0: 1-0. Yeah. So that ended that streak for us, but can we let's kind of remember that everything going up to that was doing pretty well? So, when we get into the we knew December was going to be hell. December's always hell. So, when people get hurt, congested is happening, COVID's happening a little bit. Granted, I don't, we haven't really struggled a bit with it. You know, it's just a thing going on. It was always going to be tough. There was always going to be stuff that's happening. And I mean, you look to the later of the year where we will have more spread out fixtures. Um, Obviously, the Champions League is—it uh, doesn't happen, I think, till February again. So, I mean, we in January through February, we could get a run of games where we have plenty of space to to spread our players, get healthy again, and might have some good fi- might have some good results. Um, so I think all in all, these games, they don't look good. It's hard to endure these games and everything like that. I don't think they're season-defining games, though. They're not. They're not end-all, be-all. It might be, yeah, we might not be a title-winning side, but I don't think it's too quick to say, oh, we can't get top four. I mean, have you seen the table? This is the most open the table's been debatably in history. I mean, it is ridiculously anybody's game. I mean, you tell me Aston Villa could get Champions League football? You tell me Southampton could have been challenging for the title? I mean, it's nuts. And I mean... (laughs) It's like the relegation teams, I think, okay, Sheffield United and West Brom have kind of been handing out wins. Granted, we should have beat West Brom and gotten one more, but they have – Sheffield has two points in 16 games. West Brom has eight in 16 games. So all of these bottom teams are really skewing all the points up here to where first place and it looks like ninth place – they are only seven points apart.
1: I mean, hell, even 10th. It's 10 points. 10th 11th is 10 points.
0: Man City are in eighth place right now, but they have two games in hand. Them they're and... At, two. They're all... Oh, my God. There are five teams on 26 points right now, including us. But, but uh, Villa and the, City have two games in hand.
1: Um, And then you have to look, you know, Everton is only a point behind Man U and both have a game in hand. So, I mean, last season it was very easy. And, you know, to see Liverpool run away with it, I think this season is going to be a very odd season. Um, But I, I don't think, you know, we've played 16 matches. We have months to go. I, I don't think, you know, five games having a poor run when there are a multitude of other teams having a poor run or, you know, it's kind of flip-flopped. I mean, look at the way that West Ham started. They looked awful. <laughs> and yeah, so I, it's just – it's going to be a weird season. And I, I don't think that it's right to judge it now.
0: And I mean, we're not even sure halfway through it technically.
1: Sure, there are issues that need to be addressed, and I'm sure Frank is definitely feeling the pressure because he wants to win, and he knows he has the talent to win these games. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's anything that we need to write home about.
0: I think we're just all a little emotionally unstable right now because of having to witness actually losing to Arsenal like that. It was awful. Yeah, it was, that was bad. That really kind of ruffled the feathers of everyone. But we'll kind of drive this episode home with um, kind of one of our questions from a follower of mine, who ironically is a Man U supporter, but he just followed me from Twitch and everything. And he interacts with me a lot on Twitter, and it's mainly banter and trolling. But at the same time, he supports me on Twitch, so I can't be too angry at him. But my boy TNH asked us, which player... Would be the best player on loan to bring back in the January transfer window to help with our struggles. Now, I'm I've narrowed this down. I'm only going to give us four options to pick from, um, and there's technically a few others um, that are out there, but I'm just going to use these: Mark Gerhey from Swansea, Ethan Ampadu from Sheffield, Connor Gallagher from Swansea, or Ruben Loftus-Cheek from Fulham. Now, I would say first thing you got to say is what's our struggles. I don't think the defense is a struggle like it used to be last season. I think the defense, regardless if we're winning or drawing games, barely. I think the defense is basically settled on a, on a perfect day on a day where we got out there. I think we're good.
1: Yeah. I'd have to agree.
0: So for that reason, Mark, he, I am out, but we'll talk next season. Um, Ethan Ampadu. I don't know. Um, Tell me was something playing Th- that's what I'm about to check because I'm starting to see how many minutes he actually has uh for Sheffield because okay, out of sixteen matches he's played ten so far, so you know,
1: but is he playing heavy minutes? I guess would be the question that's you know is point. he getting is he getting time at Sheffield, and is it even helping you know?
0: Yeah, and um, from what I heard, so, okay, earlier in the season, one of their center backs got a red card, and he got into the side after that. So he was playing center back for a little bit, but the last I checked on him, he was back in the midfield. Um, so, so he's it kind of been like popping around.
1: Seven out of the ten matches, it looks like he's played, although... Some of these are Nations League for Wales. So
0: oh.
1: for Sheffield, um, it looks like for his Sheffield games, it's kind of... He's mainly played full matches, but a couple have barely... He's barely hit 65 minutes. Yeah. I, and it I, seems I, his player rating is kind of low. So... Yeah. oh that's not good. Well... I know a lot of people rate Ampadu, and I rate Ampadu,
0: but the reason – and people always do the Ampadu versus Declan Rice thing, and I don't understand why people can't get past the fact that Declan Rice has loads more experience than Ethan Ampadu. At the end of the day, when you're coming into Chelsea Football Club, if you're wanting to start, that's really what matters about it. You can argue and say, well, Reese, Fick, Mason, Tammy all came in, and they – did have ah? Oh, they were academy players and stuff like that. Tammy has had three loans, I think. Mason's had th- two or three. Multiple. Reese has had only one, I think, but he was still stellar at it. Ampadu's barely had a loan. I mean, Leipzig was a, was it? it was Leipzig, yeah, it was Leipzig. Leipzig was a disaster. That was a terrible, wasted loan. Sheffield, eh, it's a mixed opinion. It's too early to say, but we're really hoping for more. It's too early for Ampadu. If we threw him into the Chelsea side right now and he bombed, he could be ruined. Like that's and that is honestly what it's looking like for Fick. Because Fick did well. And I don't remember honestly Fick doing that bad. I know that got hurt a little bit, but it looks like maybe behind the scenes he just hasn't done enough. And his 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 Chelsea career is in doubt right now. It it's it's sounding like it's doubt. And I think if you throw Ethan Ampadu into this, you could send him on the the, the, the you could set him on the tr- same trajectory as the fake is going right now and it's heartbreaking so for that reason Ethan Ampadu I am out
1: I mean I'd have to agree with that I read him I think he's talented but I also would have to agree that somebody like Declan who not only is captaining West Ham but you know you also have to look at how he's playing for England and he's you know usually one of the first slotted into the English team and you know he he does well and uh, I mean I, I like Ethan I think he's a great player but I also think that he would need to stay on loan I think he needs to gain some experience in the midfield and you know maybe he will come back I I, I don't know what Frank's plans are for him I don't want to see him end up like thick. Um, Obviously, I have I have a soft spot for Fix, so that makes me sad, and like I I wouldn't want to see somebody else who's talented end up in that position again. Um, I I think he would benefit from staying at his loan, so I would have to agree that he's out for me.
0: So that leaves us Connor and Ruben, and um, you might want to check on Ruben, but he wasn't playing as much for Fulham in the se- early in the season, but he's been playing more for them, and I think he's getting better. But also at the same time, if you're trying to pull someone out of a loan that to bring it back into your side, which this is a very off scenario because you almost never break loans unless really necessary. It's, it's really kind of a last last deal resort. Um, but to bring Ruben out, it's uncertain because what we needed to give him was minutes. We needed to give him as many minutes as possible to get his confidence back, get him back in good health. And at this point, I can't say that he'd be getting a lot of minutes granted. Yeah. He might start over Kai or something, but I mean, he's been out of the side for so long and fitness wise, who's to say that he would go straight into our side. So Ruben, I I think he just needs to stay with Fulham as bad as things are. Just see if he can shine, be a shining light for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I love Ruben. I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's very talented, but I think with the struggles that he's had coming back from his injury and the people that he would be competing with with his spot and the form that he's in now, I don't see him just waltzing in and getting the minutes that he would need to get back up to that level prior to his injury. I mean, I would love to see him come back. Um, I, I think he would do well to... Play more frequently at Fulham. Are they the best side? No, but it's still getting him minutes. It's getting him used to performing at a high level and getting back to where he was. That I just don't think he would get at Chelsea, even if they brought him back in January.
0: Yeah. So, kind of <laughs> leaves us with one last man standing. Um, and I did not include uh, Saur in here. Um, I had him in here before, but I took him out mainly because it wouldn't make sense to bring him back since, one, our defensive uh, woes aren't bad enough to need him back for some reason, um, but also it's because he's had no real experience with his Chelsea side, whereas Mark he at least uh, has had familiarity with Chelsea Academy and everything. So I think, I don't know, if, if Sar comes back, he's going to need some time to really adjust and learn anything, but I have no idea if he will come back. So Connor Gallagher. Connor Gallagher would be our answer of who to bring back in the January transfer window, and I think he he would be needed because right now what we need in the midfield is an engine, someone who's still creative, can um, who's not scared to put in a tackle, and kind of can mirror Mason Mount a good bit. And honestly, he's probably exactly what Frank wants, but I don't think he'd be the type to just come here and start in our starting eleven. But here at this point, with how bad Kai's been playing. I don't think there's a reason Connor couldn't make a name for his, for starting there if you have Conte in the six. I mean, is there any reason besides the fact that, um, well, also, um, who was it Big Sam? No, Big Sam came in. Slavin Village Slavin was sacked from West Brom. Big Sam came in, so there's a few questions up in the air about if Gallagher will still have a prominent role in the West Brom side. And they're yeah, already failing right that...
1: now. From what I've read, it seems as though he's not getting as many touches. But I mean, he still looked positive. I, I think he still looks good. Um, I-, I think it would be easier for him than any of the others to try to compete for a position
0: yeah i think his it's congested as his spot is there's nobody who has grabbed the spot by the hole um by the horns like mount has and i don't think for the number six there's really any proper depth i think is the only one there so that number other eight role you're really just looking at kovacic uh billy and uh kai so out of all three of them, no one has really done something to absolutely say you have to start them every match. So, and I think that Connor is going to be brought in next summer. I think he's going not going to go on alone again. I think you're going to see him a squad depth in uh, the side uh, because I think Georgina will go out. Uh, we'll have rice or someone by then for the defensive mid role to have the depth or see what happens with Conte. Um, he's still looking good. Now his health and fitness w- looked like it was scary last season, but looks like it's improved a good bit. Um, <laughs> um. So I think, I think Connor really has a good chance. And if he did come in the January window, I think it would be to maybe bolster this side a little bit, Um. but also probably start integrating him with the team. Um, that way he's ready for summer's end because I on this okay, this is also going to be ha- a hot take a bit that people might not be happy with. I think Connor Gallagher's Gurger is going to come in and I think he's going to phase Kovacic out. I think Billy's phasing Jorginho out and I think Gallagher is going to phase. Um, I think he's going to face Kovacic out. It's a bold take, but I'm saying in the long run, so by maybe the end of the 21 22 season. I could see Kovacic out the door because of well, Gallagher I mean, coming in.
1: He's also getting older too. So you know.
0: But he's still not that old. I mean, I mean he's he's, Kovacic, he's
1: is my age.
0: But technically, when you think about it, that's your prime. That's hitting your prime on, on average, what it used to be. I'd I'd say that the age of what people hit in the prime, it has gone down a lot, like on average. Because my friend and I we used to say nobody was hit their prime until they're about 27, 28. That's when they were in the prime of their career. But it seems like so many young players are taking off right now that the prime now has become 23, 24. So I, but my biggest concern though, is that Kovacic is a good player, but he doesn't perfectly suit either the, the six or the eight. He's kind of a hybrid that's kind of awkward in either one. In the six, he's not disciplined enough to stay back there in that role. He wants to go forward and um, be free, which is why he was guarding the pivot because well, he would go up, one would stay back or vice versa. But in the eight, he's just not offensively productive enough. So um, if – I bringing this up, but if he's in the eight, it seems like he's more of Sorry's eight kind of – just like going disrupting play uh, like in the, what I believe sorry, called the destroyer position or something. And he's mainly trying to unsettle play and everything. Um, And he's not really there to create goals, create assists, but that's why I think uh, Connor would be better is because that is what Lampard wants. He wants an eight interchanging. He wants an eight creating chances. He wanted an eight who can bang one from the top of the box. Connor checks all those boxes and he's got an engine on him and he runs a ton which is what was really needed in the side so I wouldn't advocate to bring Connor in and break his loan in January unless it was really needed for some reason but as far as it goes I think he's clearly the best option for us
1: oh I mean I agree and I think that's one uptick that Connor has that um, Kovacic doesn't is Kovacic really isn't a heavy goal scorer, whereas you know you saw Connor go on that great run where I think he two games in a row had goals and you know he's trying continually trying to be involved and in goal scoring and like not that Kova isn't but you just don't see him as much forcing that play in the final third, whereas I think Connor. Provides that, yeah, I
0: definitely think Frank probably th- thinks a little bit about it. I don't think he's actually serious enough to actually do it. And honestly, because the if he if Connor is in the championship still, and he was, uh, I think was I think it was Swansea. He was with uh, who was Swansea? Uh, before, uh, yeah, before West Brom, yes, yeah. Um, wait a minute, was Was Connor with West Brom last year or was he with Swansea last year?
1: He was
0: with, excuse me, Swansea last year and this year he is at West Brom. But wasn't Mark Gerhie, wait, okay, maybe that's only, sorry, that's only in the Prem. I was thinking of the one loan per team rule. Uh, That's only in the Prem, the championship it doesn't apply to because Fick and uh, Mason were both on Derby. Okay. Cause I was like, why is Mark? Why didn't Mark Gurkey and uh, Conor Gallagher both share a team? But that's because that rule doesn't apply. So yeah, I would say if um, if Gallagher was succeeding at a team like West Ham or something like right now, that's kind of mid-table, I wouldn't take him. I wouldn't dare touch him. I'd just be like, ride that season out. You're doing well. But West Brom's on a trajectory straight back down. And I mean, he can be good. He can get lots of minutes. But yeah. He is. He's just going to leave the team anyways. There's no way he's going to stay with that team after it goes down in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
0: So that's a question to close things out um, tonight, Brittany. Thank you so much for coming on. I've taken up a good bit of your time, bit of a little longer episode. I guess one thing I'll work on in the future is how to trim things down and transition uh, quicker. So we're not always going past midnight and everything our time clocks but i really appreciate you coming by
1: oh anytime i am always here
0: yeah so very happy to have Brittany on the show i'm hoping to have a couple more guests coming on soon Um, hoping to hear back from us soon i'm hoping that we're going to bring you a january transfer window episode um an episode on fic and basically our other center backs that we have in dispersal right now let's see what what lies ahead for Fikayo Tamori who could maybe come in smart Gerhi the next future I'll have to wait for that episode to come out but thank you guys and everyone listening um this episode has basically been our comeback episode uh for being off for a while and I'm gonna try and see if we can get the ball rolling for having more consistent content coming out to y'all so thanks so just remember guys stay true stay blue